Now remember, you're going to be on this freaking company. That's yes. uh, Jack Covert in the background. Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at work on the west side of Manhattan. Delighted to be speaking with Jack Covert and Todd Satterston, who are authors, and that's why they're here. They're here with Barbara Cave Hendricks, who I've known for a number of years of Cave Hendricks Communications, who is taking them through that part of book publishing journey, which is after the book is out. And I guess, Jack Covert, when is your book coming out? And what is the title of it? And the title of the book is The 100 Best Business Books, books of All Time, What They Say, Why They Matter, and How They Can Help You. And who are you? I'm this guy who lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who sells business books. And we, we sell lots of business books. Um, and we have, uh, 25 years ago when I started, that's what I was hired to do. And that's what I've been doing for 25 years. And it's, it's progressed from uh, the back of a bookstore to 10 years later, we moved out of the bookstore and into a warehouse. And we've been selling for, like I said, 25 years. Uh, labor of love, as I understand it, in part due to the person who you joined in this uh, in the bookstore. Well, David, David Schwartz, the company in Milwaukee is called Harry W. Schwartz Bookshop. They were started in 1927 by David Schwartz's father. Uh -huh. um, and I was hired by David in 1984. And David is was, he passed away a couple years ago, three or four years ago, was just a huge uh, book literature fan, fanatic. He believed in books that believed that books can change the world. In fact, he talked about social profit and it was P-R-O-F-I-T, uh -huh. uh, that, that you could do good things and help the community. It was a very progressive man. Uh, and he knew that business was where, where the growth was gonna be. And he just was not a person who looked at that community. And I've been a merchant all my life and he hired right. me to do this. And we've been doing it ever since. It's progressed, we've had like three or four major inflection points. Uh -huh. Uh, where things have changed, uh -huh. but uh, we are now basically doing the same thing. But and maybe we're in another inflection point. We are definitely. I, mean, I don't want to leave the fact that we're early in 2009. Oh, this is we an unsettled are in world. A significant inflection okay. point. Um, don't want to miss the 100 best business books of all time. You're here with your co-author, if you will, Todd Satterston, the newly knighted president of 800 CEO. Good. And uh, before we get, uh, and, and the two of you are now authors, but reviewers. So each one of the books that you have in here, we'll get into why you chose 100. We'll get into 1-800-CEO-READ, how this book came about in the background. And I want to structure this a little bit because I'd like to hear a little bit about the book and about 1-800-CEO-READ. And then get into the in the in the middle of it is why uh, why authors write books. I like to get into a little bit of the mm. economics of books because um, the, there's a, a great deal of question about whether books have a future and and maybe more importantly how do people learn and how do mm. business leaders learn? Is, mm -hmm. is, are books a, a a dying ember or are they a fresh log that's going to go on the fire? And then lastly, um, uh, perhaps what is the future of these kinds of business books and and into the new media. Mm -hmm. um, and how they, how you two would anticipate, both of you being young men, how you would anticipate <laughs> that the future will carry business books Half forward. of us are young men. <laughs> well, we'll let the other boys represent uh, yes. the youth of the parish. Um, Jack Covert, 1-800-CEO-READ. It sounds like a name made in heaven. <laughs> it was a name made of... Uh, when I wanted to grow the business outside of the city of Milwaukee, I needed to have a eight, an 800 number. And to give you an idea of how small we were looking, I just wanted a state 800 number. In those days, you could get state 800 numbers, and the company that sold them uh, offered the prefix 236. And I wanted read or book, and read was available, so I got 236 read, or which was 7323. And it was a year or two later that one of the buyers said, you know that uh, 236 is CEO. And I said, well, that's nice. And didn't, didn't think a thing about it. <laughs> and we, we were in 95. I we see were, Todd <laughs> hanging his head. That's all right. That's right. That's totally why he joined. That's why the he's truth. the president. It's painful to talk about, but it is the truth. That's good. In 1995, David Schwartz was on the cover of Inc. Magazine. Okay. And from that connection, I connected with somebody who knew somebody. And that summer, I was on CNN Sunday morning. And, and 
at that time, I was looking at the tape after I'd been on, and it said Jack Covert Schwartz Business Books. And I thought, that's insane. Why am I calling myself Schwartz Business Books when I'm on CNN? Next day, we became 800 CEO Read. Right. Just because next time I was on CNN, I could put that down and people could call me if they wanted right. anything. So Schwartz Business Books from Milwaukee. From Milwaukee is a hell became, of a lot different from 1-800-CEO-READ yes, yes. on CNN. Yeah, on CNN Sunday morning in yeah. July of 1995. Yes. Okay, the book. How did this book come about uh, out of what you've done? Is this your first one of this kind, first of all? Totally. Totally. Okay. Totally, totally, okay. totally. So it's a book that, um, when did the germ of the idea come I think about? This is the, I think this might be a Todd answer because it was an we odd can combination. Him into that. This Todd, is Todd Satterston. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? You absolutely are. Thank so um, I joined the company, I joined Jack in 2004, and uh, it was not all that long after I joined that I said, you know, gosh, we're, we're selling an awful lot of these things, Jack. Maybe we should think about writing one. And Jack kind of, you know, said, yeah, that sounds like a really great idea, but, uh, you know, let's, um, we got more important things to do. And it took me about two years to convince him that, that there, was a, there was a book here. And we, um, the, the germ of the idea was the fact that if we as a company, uh, what we believe our purpose is, is being helpful, just trying to help people. Right. And, and in this case, help it's... Help people in business. Help people in business. Help people find the solutions to their problems. Because mm -hmm. that's all that business books are. Business books are just solutions. And we have a wide variety of problems that we're always dealing with. And business books are self-help in the best sense of the word. Okay. Right. What I can do is I can pick up a book and it is the value proposition for that book is, you know, on the one side, I know nothing. On the other side, I'm going to go hire some consultant that I'm going to pay $20,000. So the business book sits, you know, certainly in the middle, probably much further towards I, don't, I know nothing. And for $20 and the two hours spent that you're going to spend reading it, uh -huh. I think that's a pretty high value proposition. Yep. And so um, our idea was that. Jack had been reviewing books for ages. He had this thing called the New Acquisitions List in the 80s that was typewriter, written, you know, stamps, envelopes, the whole thing out to customers. He moved rapidly into the correcting selectric <laughs> yeah, from, so from a previous era. Right. That's right. Then it's, um, it evolved into, in 2000, he started the Jack Covert Selects, which is a series of monthly reviews that we still do where we select four to six books a month and uh -huh. say, Gosh, these are books that you should check out. Out stop, of the stop, yes, so four to six books a month, but you're not picking four to six books out of twenty that come your way. This uh, is this is a very, business books is a large universe. Um, Eleven thousand a year, hard to believe. Eleven thousand, and that's that's just number of ISBNs issued. So those are the little numbers like the UPC code on the back of the book. Right. Eleven thousand ISBNs. So that that's a are metric you with, can take to the bank. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, is that a peak? Are we, um, are we writing more business books? No. I, I know that the category is such that it may include more things now uh, than others, but the ISDN number, I guess, is... What it is, is what we're seeing is you're not seeing any growth necessarily from uh, publishing houses, but the growth is in self-publishing. The growth right. is in you going and being able to upload a PDF to Lulu, and you're a, you're a publisher, right. you know, in about 20 minutes. But to lend some credibility to your efforts here with the 100 best business books of all time, you did not self-publish this. We did not. Okay. We, and that was a very specific decision on our part. We said that, um, you know, being booksellers, we could certainly, I mean, we know the industry. Yep. Um, we know the distributors. We know booksellers. We know other booksellers. For us, we felt um, uh, publishers still lend legitimacy to authors. Okay. And in our case, we went with... Um, we love the folks at Portfolio, and, and they really like the idea of the book. So for us, we had these Jack Covert Selects. Uh -huh. We, uh, two years ago, started a, a annual tradition where we, uh, at the end of the year, look back on everything that's happened. And it's this, um, we created a publication called In the Books. Okay. And so we had this monthly sort of rhythm to things. We had this uh, yearly rhythm that we've created. And what we really felt with the 100 Best was for the person who, who really isn't all that interested, who isn't going to keep track of everything that closely, here's one book, and here's what's been going on in essentially the last 30 or 40 years of business books that you need to go back and read. Okay. So the 30 to 40 years, why did you decide that this book was particularly timely? I asked about the German, the 
of the, the date. When you started putting this together, were we, in, were we heading into where we are? Or was this more like 18 no. to two years ago? This would have been 24 months ago. Yeah, it was, it was about 24 months ago. And so, no, this was simply the fact that we'd never compiled a list like this for okay. anybody. And that sounds exciting. It, well, daunting, right? Daunting. And so the selection process, right? Jack and I, you know, we, we decide we're going to write the proposal. Jack and I sit down and in separate offices, just start writing. And we're like, let's just get a list of all the titles and let's just see how close we are to start with. Jack comes back with about 130 books that okay, he thinks. Uh, let me interrupt you again. Yes. Now you didn't just walk into Milwaukee into this bookstore. You have a uh, business background of sorts. Fair enough. Yes. Um, I, I'm actually, by training, a mechanical engineer. Okay. I spent six years with General Electric okay. and went up through their uh, man management training program. Um, went on to run a company with my father, who had a small sheet metal fabrication shop. Uh -huh. And then... In Milwaukee? Um, just outside Milwaukee. Okay. I, grew up, I grew up just outside Milwaukee. Great. So we're both kind of... Wisconsinites in terms of where we've grown up and cheeseheads or whatever those yeah, of us who uh, that's a so fond <laughs> that's a fond description for those of us from Wisconsin we have no problem with that uh, that's right um, and for us it was um, uh, and, and so what happened was a, a random occurrence uh, sort of introduced us and I've, I've been working with Jack for the last five years great and now you're the president and now I'm the president Good. congratulations yes. thank that's you it's a nice story and nice having you out here moving the book as they say absolutely and i'm delighted i should say say so at the beginning that i'm delighted to have you two on mclaughlin at work this is a real thrill jack and i uh talked a couple of years ago mm -hmm. around one of the people who is a uh actually has his own page if you will of one of the promising authors uh, charles fishman mm -hmm. uh and charles was also the uh, the author, if you will, of the subtitle of the book. I think you give him credit for that in the acknowledgments. Very nicely done. It was important. It was important. The titling of the book took about as long as writing the book. Yep. We had, we had a heck of a time with the title. Now, your folks at Portfolio and Barbara Cave Hendricks, did, they, every, did a lot of people weigh in, or did you oh, hold yeah. that? I mean, that's, that's, the way, that's the way a decision like this is made. Okay. It was, it was I had an idea, Todd had an idea, they had an idea. And it wasn't until a subtitle came in that the, the title of the book made sense. And that subtitle is? Uh, what, it's 100 Best business, book, business Books of All Time, which is the title. And the subtitle is What They Say, Why They Matter, and How They Can Help You. Okay. Which is this whole solution thing that we were talking about right. that Todd was talking about before. We believe that business books are solutions to problems. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt myself because I just picked up a book that had been recommended to me. And I'm going to ask you about the question of the 100 best books of all time, because obviously you put in of all time and then you inserted 30 to 40, 30 to 40 years of the last 30 to 40 years. But and, we do and the have... book I'm referring to, because I just want to get it out, because it's very much on my mind and I sort of consumed it cover to cover, was Think, Think and Grow mm -hmm. Rich by Napoleon Hill. And um, I, I picked it up at the recommendation of somebody around uh, what I'm doing here with McLaughlin at work. And I, I found it extraordinarily relevant in January of 2009. Mm -hmm. um, it would not have been perhaps as much in uh, the January of 2007. But back to your book, because that's what we're talking mm -hmm. about. You, the best business books of all time, were there business books prior to, I'll pick a date, um, 1965 yes but they were they were generally uh, very academic they were generally treatises on on some uh, manufacturing philosophy could be dry no couldn't be would be I mean uh, <laughs> were there were yes they were I mean we, we have Dale Carnegie yeah, I mean, and Peter Drucker was writing in the 40s and 50s. Right. And he's one of three authors that have two books in our 100 best. So, I mean, 30 years ago, what, In Search of Excellence and Iacocca were really, really the, uh, the turning point in business books. Okay. And they showed to... And, and what date were they? 
uh, roughly. 82, and okay. I think Iacocca was three. Of, yeah, and, and Iacocca was a biography of Lee Iacocca. Right. He came out right, right after Chrysler turned the corner. They had gone to the government in maybe 80 and asked for uh, loan supports, uh -huh. and they had gotten them, and Iacocca was hired and was a dollar-a-year guy and, and succeeded in turning the company around. Right. And then he wrote his biography. And, and he was a personality. A huge still, personality. Still has, but, huge uh, personality. And he, um, it showed publishers that this this odd little uh, genre could actually sell copies. I mean, Iacocca was the fastest selling biography of of uh, all time at that point, and it sold millions and millions of copies. And same uh -huh. thing with In Search of Excellence. Right. Publishers are very good at following trends. And from that point on, there was an interest in business books. Okay. Because they were trying. And that was where, where it switched. That was where it turned. That was where it tipped. And I just thought. Uh, Maybe uh, Malcolm Gladwell's the tipping point. Very much so. That's, very that's much where so. it went. And I think what I'd add to that is I think there were some societal things that were going on at the same time as well. That uh, what we had is we had more power being pushed down further into the organization. Um, managers at lower levels were, giving, were, be, were being given more responsibility. Uh -huh. So suddenly we needed another set of books that were accessible to a much wider set of people. Right. Um, the, the second thing that was happening was this is when entrepreneurship really started to become a word that wasn't, you know, you weren't a leper if you said you were an entrepreneur. Right. Inc. Magazine was founded in 1981. So people were starting huh. to leave their corporate jobs and start businesses. Again, a whole another genre of books were needed to really help these people right. be successful. And so I think that when you sort of look at these two books, um, not only was it that it was a set of books that seemed to ring true for an awful lot of set of people, but there were also societal things that were driving them as well. Curiously was the, because uh, I don't know the answer to this question, but was Harvard Business Review, which is, which is in many cases spawns, if not leverages up book thing, articles that become books, mm -hmm. perhaps like The New Yorker a little bit. Um, had, had that been, was that much of a force in the, uh, prior to say 19, uh, Iacocca's book? I prior to the 80s? I don't know where that is. I would say yes. I, I believe that HBR was founded in like 1965. Okay. Okay, I think it was the mid 60s. Before that, what they really did, and I think it goes all the way back to the 20s, is they, they wrote case studies. The case study right. okay. and that whole method actually runs right. w much further back. Yes. That's where the origin of all of their publishing efforts were. It was cases, huh. then okay. it was HBR, and then it wasn't until the 80s, I believe, that they actually started publishing books. The, the, the Harvard... In, in As far back as I can remember, in the first generation of business books, there was... There was publishers like Warner Books, right, which published um, more consumer-oriented, Dress for Success, In Search of Excellence, and Paperback was on Warner Books. Okay. Uh, uh, Tom Hopkins, uh, The Art of Selling, right. uh, the the real more consumer-driven. Then there was the high-end books, and that was Harvard and a publisher called the Free Press. Okay. The Free Press was a publisher run by Glick who was a conservative man and he had a editor named uh, Bob Wallace who would edit these John Cotter uh, Michael Porter these really right. high-end books and if it was a Harvard yeah they're very professional and uh, Harvard and um, the free press right. were the leaders in that okay and then there was a second tier that published more practical things so when you went back then uh, to pick up the story when you went back 30 or 40 years when you say the business the best business books of all time so we pick sort of uh, 1980 what was what was I, I know that you have a Drucker book that is yeah. that predates that but. 94 of the 100 books are published since 1980 okay so you know six percent was right. published before 1980 right. and uh, that's the two Druckers that's Carnegie that's we got half of them up right. the organization uh, you know, the Robert Townsend book. So there's uh, the modern business book, I think, can be argued started with In Search of Excellence. Okay. So you two decided that you would come out, uh, it was sort of the book of books. The purpose of the book? The purpose of the 100 best business books? I mean, you're, you're strategic, if you will. What, 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 why, why did you do this? Uh, 
Jack just said it was fun. It you, were, abs- you were in it Milwaukee. Was. It was the middle of winter. Well, yes, and we needed something to do. <laughs> and I had this. I have this huge whiteboard in my office, and we needed something to put on it. No, I mean, I think for us, it was an exercise in um, finally creating a list and saying, you know, there's these books that we keep telling people about. Yep. You know, they'll come to us and they'll say, I'm struggling with X, and we'll say, well, here's why. You know, this is this is this. This is a solution. So I think it was more of an exercise for us that when we took these two lists that we had of, as I referred to earlier, Jack had about 130, I had about 140. When we combined those two lists together, 80 of the books matched. I mean, we had the vast majority of the book really within 24 hours of us deciding we were really going to go do the book. And did you, uh, I'm always reminded of the story about Catch-22 was written as Catch-11, and then they determined that Catch-22 was a funnier number. Um, I think it was the publisher who decided that, so it changed the title at the end. Catch-22 is not in here, I take it. It is not. not. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to go down the wrong (laughs) wrong alley here. Um, A hundred books, did you figure out the hundred because you agreed on 80 and there must be 20 more? I think it was 100 books because it just it felt like the right amount. I, I don't think there's anything special. It could have been 99. It could have been 101. But it, we really felt like 100 is um, uh, that, that um, is a substantial number. When, when you look at the fact that there's 12 different sections in the book, right. leadership and management and biographies. And Did that come as a result of the 80? Yes, the it actually did. Because we sort of had these 80 books. We kind of put them up there and went, oh, well, look, here's... Here's the, the genesis of the leadership chapter, and gosh, we've got an awful lot of good self-development books here, and we've got four biographies. So the sections sort of came almost as natural as, as the original set of books. Uh, Paul McLaughlin here with Todd Satterston, he the just speaking, and Jack Covert um, on the west side of Manhattan. The book is the 100 Best Business Books of All Time and will be uh, published, uh, I asked this before and I forgot the answer. Next week is it coming out in February? Uh, February 5th. February 5th available through the usual outlets, including 1-800-CEO-READ. Absolutely. You'll be, there's actually a special edition available through 800-CEO-READ that comes with the book and an audio CD and our um, in-the-books annual. So okay. it's something a little bit different. All right. So I came back to why did you put this book together? Why did, why did you decide? What was the purpose? They always say, you've got to have a purpose. You don't just gather around in Milwaukee and decide you're going to do something, particularly since you hadn't done it before. So this is not a sequel. I think what we'd never done is uh, written the book for the vast majority of people that we talked to. Um, our Jack Covert Selects and our In the Books are for people who are actively looking, like just all the time looking for that next right. book. And you know, that, I mean, we certainly know who those people are. They're the readers that we always go to to say, gosh, what have you read in the last three months that I should check out? Right. This book is for uh, the folks who are like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. We think it's for the third book buyer, and here's what I mean by that. Okay. Um, I think oftentimes the first book that you read as a business book is recommended to you. There's a, there's a friend of yours that said, go read this book, and maybe you've explained some idea to them or some problem to them, you know, and, and you know the sorts of books. It's, it's good to great. It's um, seven habits of highly effective people. I mean, these are the sorts of books that generally introduce people to business books. Uh, what happens is you generally leave that first book, you're like, man, there is really something to this. I mean, I can learn a lot of really good stuff from business books. So you head back to the bookstore or you log back onto your online bookstore and you find the book that has, that seems to solve your next problem. You know, clever title, you know, cute cover. There's probably a number or an animal uh, involved in it in one way or another, right? And you you usually know the author? Maybe not. I don't think the second book buyer does. Okay. I don't think the second book and buyer does. They might have read something in a magazine. It's hard saying. I think most of the time, 97% of the time, they read that second book, and it was something that did not work for them. It did not actually solve their problem. It was not well written. Um, and I think they sort of go back to the idea where they started before the first one, and there really is nothing for in business books for okay. me. So we've written the 100 best for the third book buyer because okay. we think there's a third book and a fourth book and a fifth book and a tenth book in here for you. Right. That as you go through your career, whether it's starting off and um, the you chapter is the first chapter and if it's about, you know, reading seven habits or getting things done or how to win friends and influence people, something very similar to um, of, of similar era to the Napoleon Hill book that mm-hmm. you were just mentioning. Um, or I just got I just got my first manager's job. I have a whole different set of responsibilities than I ever had to deal with before. Right. I've got 12 books for you to go read. Okay. 
And when you were, um, in, in terms of you being authors, so that the authorship in some measure is the fact that each of these reviews of the 100 books that are in here were written by either Jack Covert or Todd Satterston. Signed, even. Sorry? Signed, even. We I saw even that very nicely it? by Jack we, or we, Todd. Yeah, and then we with call a little JS or a TS. Yes. JC, excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you, Jack, does Todd write well? And do you write differently? You, you I write reviews. very differently than Todd. Okay. Todd writes very well. Okay. Yeah. How's your writing? I didn't, uh, you know, I'm much more conversational. Todd's an MBA. I am not an MBA. Uh, Todd comes from an engineering background. I've been a merchant for 40 years. Right. You know, I write at a different, uh, I write at a different uh, pitch. Let's right. put it that well, way. Well, it's like McLaughlin at work. This is a different kind yeah. of program. Yeah, you know, exactly. We, we, we just do things a little bit differently here. Are you an emotional writer? Do you bleed words? Take I, you a long time? Do you fuss no, over No, no, I don't fuss at all. I okay. mean, that, uh, if you if you go on our website, 800CRE.com, and look at the Jack Covert selects, they're just the way I talk. Okay. And and well, I, that's that's our contention is the advantage of sound. Yeah. Because we think that this kind of interview is important, mm -hmm. not only for business and people explaining themselves, but also for the sake of the book. And that's if you the did audible.com, then you'd have to read, had to read yeah. all of the reviews of the, of the 100 books. I would be not surprised within four months there will be a review of an uh, audio book of all the 100 reviews read by both Todd and I. Wouldn't it be great if you get each author to write your review, to read your review of their book? Maybe if you get, yeah. get Charles that Fishman. Would be cool. <laughs> Charles Fishman. One of the yeah. things that we are doing, though, is, is we are launching or have launched a website called the100bestbiz.com where each of the living authors we are interviewing uh, and we are posting. We're doing a, a, a five to ten. Uh, who, who was I, I just speaking to that went on? Oh, uh, Randy Commissar, the author of The Monk and the Riddle. Uh -huh. And I went on for like a half an hour. I mean, he just was a fascinating guy. And we're posting that stuff online uh, so everybody can, everybody can hear what the authors have to say about what the books are about. Okay. Um, Todd's style uh, in writing is what? You say he's an MBA, so that's a different... And a mechanical engineer, so I assume that there's a little, perhaps a little bit more structured. Is a beginning, middle, and an end he's, conclusion. He's, he's, he's just he's just a very good writer. I mean, okay. his 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 writing is he uses bigger words. All um, right. He he has he has a grander scheme, a grander uh -huh. view than okay. I have. I'm not putting down my writing. My writing is my writing, and I write the way I write. I write the way I talk. And it's 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 not awful. It's it's you know it's not awful. How's that? That's a pretty good. Tell, tell me this: how many um, how many uh, reviews? How many books did you review of the hundred? How many capture yours, and how many capture Todd's? What was it? What was the final? I think it's fifty-five wow. forty-five. I mean, but but you you must understand that we signed a contract to do this book in April. We had to have in the April book of, of uh, seven? Seven? seven. We had yeah. to have the book. To them, April of eight. All right. So that's fifty books that needed to be read and reviewed in fifty-two weeks. And I see. So you did, you had not previously. Oh reviewed no, no. This was this is all see. fresh okay. material. Right. Okay. Now there there's thirteen of the books that are in this book. I had done Jack Overt Select's reviews on. I see. Only but, thirteen. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. Uh, but I I I totally reread the books and totally rewrote the reviews. For, for the book, because the tone is different. The tone is different in, in the book than it is in a Jack Cover Select. But the, the um, I lost my point. What was my point? This was in April, uh, uh, and you were redoing. We threw out, we threw out probably 10 books. I probably threw out at least seven that I thought were worthy. Right. And I would spend three or four days reading the book and just say, this doesn't hold up. It doesn't meet the criteria. And so we ended up having to do probably 50 books in 40 weeks because, because of the books that didn't make the cut. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, every week we had to have a... It was, it was quite a challenge. I mean, it was, really, it was really positive. It was really exciting, but it was a huge challenge. Todd, you can add? And, and I think that uh, the, the thing Jack won't say is the thing that what Jack brought to the project was persistence. And so every week, Jack was going to deliver a review, no matter what. 
That was one of the hallmarks of Napoleon Hill's book, his persistence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so the fact that Jack has 55 reviews is because, as Jack described, I'm the guy going, okay, what's the bigger idea in this book? Right. Like, what's, I've got to deliver some grand notion, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. But I was the guy who, in the last four weeks, was writing, you know, a dozen reviews to finish the book to meet the deadline, you know. Right. He was the guy who, week after week after week, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my book done i'm going to get my review written i'm going to turn it in we're going to start the editing process and so um that was that was probably the toughest part the timing and i'm not sure we thought particularly hard about that when we signed the contract right um i'm going to jump in to ask about the the authors and and how first of all you didn't need permission from them these are in public domain mm -hmm. so you were going to do whatever you felt you wanted to do um why do business authors write books? Why, 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 what, what makes somebody write a book? I mean, presumably has changed a little bit from when Drucker wrote his versus when pick on Charles Fishman because he's part of, uh, uh, what's the magazine that he writes for? Fast Company. Fast Company, thank yeah. you. Um, and, and a couple of his ideas have become books. How, how have you seen over the years, how have the authors changed? Well, I, mean, I, I think the the biggest thing that you see happening in business books, and it, it really started at the same time we keep going back to In Search of Excellence, but um, Tom Peters. I mean, Tom Peters uh, created the professional speaking circuit in okay. business. You know, huh. he was the guy who uh, was able to, in the early days, uh, get 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, $100,000 dollars now um, to come give... 45-minute talk to a large group of people. And so what, what's happened in, in business books is a very, for many authors, it's, um, and it really depends on the author. If we go to someone like Charles Fishman, what he's trying to do is, as a writer, he wants you know, a bigger platform and, and more room to talk about an idea. You know, Fast right. Company probably gives him 3,000, 4,000 words to do it, maybe five. He wants 100,000. Okay. Um, but there's a, vast, there's, a, there's a vast array of authors who come to business books because what it's going to do is it's going to build out their platform, whether it's a consulting practice or a speaking right. practice. And okay. it's really a part of a business. Yep. Um, and the, um, oh. Jack well, Covert the, the, adds. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's basically become a business card. A book has become a business yes. card. It's a $20 business card. Right. And, and uh, the amount of money that can be, their their personal wealth, the increase of an author's personal wealth, if they happen to get it right, is staggering. Yeah. Uh, and it's, some are really, really good, and we call them out in this book, but lots and lots of them aren't very good. Are there some of the books in, uh, how many would you say are well-written, as opposed to having a particularly good idea? And not well-written? Yeah. There's There's a lot of, there's a lot of bad ideas written badly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's uh, there's some good ideas written badly, and there's not a lot of good ideas written well. I mean, it's very hard to write. It's hard. There are to not write. a lot of good ideas written well. Yes. There's oh, a there's. Okay. I mean, in in thirty years, we call out a hundred. Yeah. I mean, so. And. and, and yeah, the, 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 well, you're, you're there. That's in right. The, in the forward. I just like to point out that Todd was waving his fingers at Jack so that Jack would pick up on the cue that there's supposed to be three. But well, th that comes from a partnership. There's three things. There's three things that we talk about that a, a good business book needs, and I think it directly addresses your question. Uh -huh. We think the book needs to be accessible, we think it needs to be applicable, and we think it needs to have a, the, the quality of the idea needs to be well thought out. So, Accessible is readable. Um, is readable. Okay. Um, is um, Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith at 912 pages is not accessible right. to the average business person today. Right. Uh -huh. Okay, applicable. There's lots of good ideas that uh, people tend to point out. We think that this this breaking point of of 1980 is that. Prior to that, there were lots of ideas that people talked about, about how they talk about how to manage people, how we did marketing, that just do not apply at all to how things work today. Right. Um, and then the, uh, the quality of the idea. Um, so applicability is um, a lot of people love Frederick Taylor's um, uh, Principles of Scientific Management. Uh -huh. Frederick Taylor was the father of industrial engineering. He was the guy who said, 
dig faster. Okay. Guy, he's the guy at the stopwatch. Right. Right. A lot of the union movement was created because of the work of Frederick Taylor. Um, we don't think that's the way that you would recommend a manager runs his department anymore. I mean, right. we have a much more humanistic view of how it is that we're going to be successful in the marketplace, and there's lots of studies to prove otherwise. We can't possibly recommend Frederick Taylor now in the 100 Best, because we just don't think it's applicable. Okay. Um, the quality of the idea, that's probably the most subjective one. You know, that's the one where everybody's going to probably argue with us. You know, that's where people, you know, as we talk to people, they go, well, how come you didn't include this? I said, well, we include this. I mean, it, right. it really is the subjective part. But what we generally used as the, the litmus test for including a book in the 100 Best was, would we do this in our business? Would we take one of these books and the ideas and the insights uh, and apply it and use it in our business? And if it could pass that litmus test, we'd include it. Tell me about um, length, and I'm sort of looking through to, to Barbara, who's a, uh, who is a publicist and knows how long they can be. How many of these books of these hundred books are really a lot shorter, but in order to have them published as a book, they've got to fill 212 to 300 pages as opposed to being really an article mm. that is well stated as such? Well, the industry standard is six by nine trim size okay. and 224 pages. All right, thank you. Right? I mean, that's, you know, if you look at an awful lot of books on the shelf, they almost match that profile almost perfectly. Okay. And because it's, it's a too perfect smaller is too thin. Smaller is too thin. <laughs> well, you get to actually get into problem with production problems where the binding won't hold. Right. Right. Yep. Um, you get too long and people get afraid of it. Yep. I mean, what you're seeing now is sort of the trend in publishing is kind of going to smaller and smaller trim sizes. Uh, you know, a lot of your listeners might know Seth Godin. I mean, Seth Godin's got that six, four by six size right. that, you know, he'll deliver it in 150 pages and you can, we call it airplane reads, right? You yeah. can read it in about two hours uh -huh. and know exactly what it's going to be about. Um, but, I think, uh, to go back to answer your original question, it's, um, uh, it is an accessibility problem that you're describing there. That's so many ideas. The idea is great. Right. But there's so much stuff other around it, so much yeah. fluff or so much extraneous that was added yeah. that you, you waste so much time just trying to dig through to get to that thing right. that it fails the accessibility problem. And so we generally throw those books out. Well, it's an extraordinary statement, really, when you think that there are pick an average over the 30 years, but there are something seven, 8,000 books over those years. You're peaking maybe or something in 2007, there were 11,000 and the economy was strong and people were writing it and getting it out. Now, some houses aren't accepting manuscripts. So we've, yes. we've come, uh, not only people are getting pink slips, but uh, thank you very much. We don't need your, your labor of love because Absolutely. it's not gonna get on a shelf. Um, to think that there are it's almost mind-numbing, the economics, that there are that many books that come out, and yet there are so few, forget a bestseller list, but really, what, what is the sort of the minimum of those 11,000? What, what's the min-max of how many um, of those books reach? What, what is it? You gave a, a metric. You said six by nine cut size, 224 pages. How many, what is, is a well-done, popular business book? What does it sell? I would say that, um, you know, if you ask a publisher, they're going to give you, well, it depends. Okay. Okay. I'm not and putting it you on, on the spot. No, I mean, no, no. Because it's your and, business. And I'm going to try to, no, I'm actually going to try to answer. I think most publishers say it depends because what they're going to say is how much did I pay for it? Because how much I paid for it in the advance right. is going to tell me how many copies I need on the backside right. to make it work for me. I think any book that sells 20,000 copies in today's marketplace is, would be considered a success by a publisher. Okay. Um, based on the fact that um, generally they're going to pay between fifty dollars and $100,000 advance. Right. You know, uh, for them, they make about 5 to $6 on every book. Right. You can yep. kind of do that math. Can do you can math. see how they're going to get their, get their return back. And if they can sell some foreign rights, they're even they get there even a little bit faster. Right. Um, the trouble is that it's probably something like uh, somewhere between three and 5% of books that are published in a given year sell more than 20,000 copies. Three to 5%. Correct. Wow. And so, um, you know, we, when we talk about Chris Anderson's Long Tail, his book was right. very popular. Yep. From, yep. You know, from, and it's Chris the, from Wired. Wired Chris from Wired, uh, the, the editor-in-chief there. Yeah. And Good book. Interesting book. Uh, very interesting book. It challenges a lot of um, premises, but it's, uh, it's that if people, if your readers sort of know that long tail kind of lots of things do really well, and then that popularity drops very quickly and tends to go on forever and ever and ever and right. ever. Right. And so there's a big thick tail at the front, and that's really what I'm referring to in that 
three to five percent probably selling more than 20,000 copies and there's a lot of stuff that just goes on and on and on I self-published a book about three years ago I sold 222 copies I'm one of those people okay way the long way, tail way down right. the tail yeah. okay well you know this is Jack I think the, the, the economics of publishing a book is totally dependent on the author who's publishing it. Okay. Because if you're, if you're a guy or a girl who goes and travels and speaks to rotary clubs right. and about real estate and you, you, you created this book, you self-published, it, self-published the book, you paid $2.50 for the book and you sell a book for $15 yep. and you sell... 50 books a day talking to rotary clubs all over the country you can actually make a living doing that right and there are there are a lot of people who do that yeah so the quality of the idea isn't important it's the sellability and that's the that is a person who knows what they're doing and they've created a product and it's just part of their package uh, the eleven thousand books a huge number of those are those kind of books right and and, and i guess to infer from your comment that there is those are not standalone. In other words, this is a business that people are in. Yep. This it's is part a calling of, it's card. Part of their this package. is what they do. It's part of this their is package. how people learn. Um, speaking of that, how, in your experience, has the business leader, do they learn differently now than they did in the 80s and the 90s? Do people actually read a, no, a novel thought? Do they buy the book because they skim it? Do they like the personality? It, you know... Um, it depends. I mean, it really does. Yeah. I mean, it, it. Well, that's why, Jack, you know. So uh, no, don't, don't hedge no, no, on no, me. No, 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 no. Jack doesn't know. Jack thinks he knows. <laughs> but well, that's uh, that's what carries you forward. Yeah, exactly. That's why you wrote the book. You say it with an authoritative, authoritative voice. Sometimes they'll buy it. Yeah. You know? But I would say that. that like the, these are the hundred. Yes. These are the hundred best. Buys. Well, of course that is. Yeah. Of course it is. Sure. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't. Um. I think I think business people are are reading probably a little more than they did before. The issue is 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 what's happened with with all this outside interference. I mean, email 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago didn't exist. Right. And we spend what anywhere between 20 and 40 percent of our time reading email. Right. Where did we carve that 20 to 40 percent of our time from? Yeah. Well, our family probably. Yep. Our work probably. Yep. But I think I think people continue to have to read. I think they've segmented their reading uh, to, to reading stuff that applies to their to their position and their and their career and their jobs. Right. Uh, reading reading um, industry publications. Right. Is, I, is, is the business book the main source of information for problem for solution to specific problems? Is that where people go? No. No. I don't think so. All right. I don't think so. I think they. I think they talk to friends. I think they go online. I think they go. You know, they 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 talk to they talk to professionals. I think they may. Malcolm Gladwell and Charles Fishman are in a different world. Yes. I think. I think they're there's, the John Gresham. Yeah, type. they're the John Gresham types. Uh, that you know that what you're going to read from them is going to be eminently readable, and you're right. going to get value out of it. I think that I don't know if business people actually look at business books as solutions. We think they should, but I'm not sure that they do. I think they may end up there in the long run. Yeah. One of the things that Todd, when you were at GE, did Mm -hmm. you did you read books? I didn't. You did not. I did not. I did not start reading very heavily until I got into working with my father in his business. Okay. I mean, what I found was that we had a marketing and sales problem there. I mean, that's really what we need to do to grow the business. And I read everything I could get my hands on. You know, at GE, what it was, and I think there's a lot of corporations like this where they're generally going to, at GE, they would adopt, their, they would create their own training. Um, right. They, would, they might use, uh, after I left, I saw many of their concepts that I recognize in popular books. Okay. But inside GE, you would never hear that, you know, uh, change acceleration process, their cap process, was actually just John Cotter's leading change in right. the eight steps. Okay. Um, the, the, but I interrupted you. You no, were picking up on uh, Jack's I to comment on what, about um, how business managers perhaps learn. I think read. that um, I completely agree with Jack that I think um, what we're trying to do with the 100 Best is maybe convince people that there are more solutions for them in business books. I okay. think the problem is that they're trying to sift through it, and it's very difficult to f- get close to that solution. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that um, we are reading more and more and more on screens. 
whether I'm it's sorry, their I missed screens, screens yes. right? Yep. Whether it's the, the MacBook you've got sitting here that you're recording us on, mm -hmm. or it's the iPhone that Jack and I have in our pockets, um, or it's the, the, the TV out in the lobby that I, I stopped at before I went out for breakfast right. this morning. Um, or, 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 and, and even to the point of the Amazon electric book, which they ran out of this season, because they couldn't simply, nobody knew that that was going to catch on the way it did. Right. So, so the Kindle, right? Um, Kindle, thank you very there much. There you go. The I don't Kindle, have a Kindle. So. Um, the Sony Reader. Yeah. I mean, those are really the two main uh, book products. Um, I think that the argument that I would make, you know, and this is a very kind of big theme kind of argument, is I think reading a book is a meditative process. Uh-huh. I think it puts your mind in a different place. And I think that um, as you read that book, you're reading the stories, you're, you're, you're taking in that information, and you're stopping what you're doing otherwise. Mm -hmm. You're not on the BlackBerry. You're not, on, um, uh, you're not flipping back and forth between 17 windows. When you sit and you read that book, right. I think you're slowing your brain down enough that you're starting to contemplate things uh, like you haven't before. What people often say to us is they'll say, you know, I got so many great ideas from this, this book I just read. And we relate this back to the problem idea that I think oftentimes people can't even articulate their problems. Sure. It's the set of things that are kind of going on. And right. until you read the book and you go, oh my gosh, that is exactly what my problem was. And I couldn't have explained it prior to reading the book. And I think there's a whole process that you go through. And the trouble is just someone telling you what you should read or someone telling you this is what this is the advice i have for you based on what, based on what you've told me there's nothing meditative about that and i think i think if people read more books um that they would get closer to solving their their solutions faster right uh, and get to the solution because they can identify the problem yes yeah and that oh, ever thus well they just a historical point Probably one of the turning points of the feminist movement was uh, Betty Friedan writing The Feminine Mystique. Uh -huh. And the women who would pick that book up and go, oh, my God, I'm not the only person in the world with this problem. Uh, was, was, a huge, was a huge turning point. It allowed, right. it, it made it more of a general uh, movement because yep. people understood what it was about. And that's good to great, right? And that's good to great. Take Jim Collins' is good to great. I think essentially the same thing happened with Good to Great, that suddenly people were relating a whole set of um, characteristics that they had seen before in business, whether it was the hedgehog concept or getting the people on the bus and you know, getting them into the right seats or the flywheel concept. These were all things that, um, that they could recognize. And suddenly they went, you know what, that's exactly the problem I have. I had the people on the bus, but I didn't have them in the right seat. Or I didn't get the right people on the bus to start with. And I think when you, those things yep. start to happen. Triggers things. There you go. That makes you think. Um, why are we in the mess we have? If, if you had come out with this book early and earlier, would we have avoided 2008? No. <laughs> no, no. This that, was, that was Todd saying no. No, I think, Jack. I think that... Um, what went what, what, what wrong? You, you guys now are in charge of this. You're recommending people read 100 political. business books. It's political. It's, it has nothing to do with business. It has to do with, with, with people working the system. You know, this is these are some very smart people, and there's good books on it. Uh, what's his face is with the with the long-term capital manager. I love that. I love that phrase. What's his face? Do you yeah. want to do you, do you want to clarify who who that is, Jack? Just to, I'm not going to edit this out because this is this is too good. There are a lot when, of what's his faces. When Genius Failed by Roger Lowenstein, which is one of the 100 best. Okay, which, great. Um, Could you give the title a little bit slower? To sure. Roger when his, uh, um, When Genius Failed. Yes. By Roger Lowenstein. Uh -huh. And it's the story of the failure of long-term capital management. Right. It was uh, one of the early hedge funds. Yep. I um, worked at Solomon Brothers uh, <laughs> with Mr. Merriweather. There you go. Yeah. You know, and, and so uh, it was a, um, a hubris. I yep. mean, it was, and, and if, if, what I would add on to Jack in terms of what's going on is there's certainly political considerations. There's, there's systemic stuff. I mean, this is, there are some deep systemic problems with, that allowed all this stuff to happen. Right. Um, there have been people when you're saying systemic, mm -hmm. we, 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 the system didn't do this to us. What, what, uh, what I think happened was that, um, N NPR, um, oh, now I'm going to forget NPR has run a lot of great stories on this and I can't think of the guy I'm thinking of. Um, and what they did a great job of doing was walking back through each step in the process right. from, the guys who were selling 
the uh, the security based versions of the mortgages right. yep. back to the people who were uh, originating those mortgages back to the people who were actually uh -huh. buying those mortgages yep. and everybody was kind of winking at everybody else all along in that process right. you know that um, so we had this great creation of wealth and planetary I mean I'm talking sure. you know, global creation yep. of wealth that wealth wanted some place to go and uh, it looked for all sorts of places it found a great spot in the security in the mortgage security market right. and suddenly that money wanted more and more places to go and I think there was huge motivations by multiple individuals in that chain to originate more and more mortgages to right. riskier and riskier people. Right. And so you're absolutely right. It's people all along the way, but there's certainly motivations along the way that created that situation. What's the, uh, what's the, the book in here that is strongest about hubris? What's the book that says if you, if you take yourself too seriously, you're going to end up in a train wreck i um i would i would I'll, I'll mention two and then maybe jack can talk about one um i would go back to when genius failed i think you got to read about meriwether and his merry band of right. you know, quants that basically you know these quantitative yep. folks who created these models to make things happen the um and then if you put uh if you put uh, liar's poker which is not here but absolutely I know Michael, uh, yes was, um that was written actually about the training class that i participated in at solomon <laughs> well, there you uh, go. so i was uh michael was right there and, and he, he's done a remarkable job his his piece in the new york times about the merriweather uh, i think was uh, seminal in its own way um and he, and he also had for uh listeners um find his article in portfolio magazine from uh december and it was just absolutely brilliant. It was, it was really his beginning of telling the story after Liar's Poker. Right, okay. Um, the second uh, book that I would recommend would be um, Questions of Character. Okay. Um, and it's by a guy named Joe Botaracco. And it is, uh, he's a Harvard Business School professor. And what he's done is he's found that when he uses fiction as a um, teaching tool at the right. Harvard Business School, yep. that his students are more engaged in what's happening. So he tells a variety, he uses a variety of stories, everything from uh, Willie Loman and Death of a Salesman uh -huh. to Last Tycoon and F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, and each one of these is this very complicated, very gray right. kind of problem. And he, in the book, he tells you the story, kind of tells you what the, what the character is sort of dealing with, and then forces you to go... Yeah, how would you deal with this? Yeah, I think that it reminds me of, um, leads into my next question, if I may. Yeah. Um, the, the parable of Xenadu, which is sort of that Harvard Business School about mm -hmm. the, somebody coming through the Himalayas. A book came out about it within the last year or so by the same person who wrote the article. Um, question about faith-based books. Mm. Um, was there any, uh, are there any um, references? Do you have any uh, books that, that sort of are... If, for lack of any other, called faith-based. I know that there's a couple of movements that combine divinity school and business school. I know they have at Yale, and they've done one at Princeton. I'm just curious as to whether. Yeah, well, Seven Habits. I, we're, uh, your listeners cannot see. If this was television, you would see us scrambling through our books trying to find <laughs> what this would what would answer that. To possibly... Um, 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 the Monk and the Riddle... But it's it, but that's certainly Zen. the title. Certainly the no, title. No, but it's a Zen. It's right. a Zen okay. faith. That's right. Because uh, when I interviewed Commissar, I, one of my questions was, "What did most people miss?" And he said, "At the third level, at the core, this is a book about Zen." Okay. Um, doo, 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 doo. You find anything else, Todd? Well, I mean, uh, Carnegie, How to Win Friends. Yeah. Yeah, it has a little Christian bent to it. But yeah, but I guess that this is no. also a, a relatively, perhaps relatively recent phenomena where we're seeing... Yeah. Yeah, very uh, much so, very okay. much so, yeah. All right. um, last question is we, uh, of, of this type. Uh, we have read stories of, we have children who no longer read the daily newspaper, uh, the millennials. What mm. are they going to do? Are they going to buy, uh, buy this book? Are you going to be able to uh, make sure that... Barbara Cave Hendricks is, is able to, to get the metrics on, on the demographics of who buy the book, so you can, the next book, you can take that into account. But what, reading, reading and what people are coming out of Harvard and uh, Ole Miss uh, doing now, what, what's going to happen to the business book for that next generation of business leaders? Who, by the way, I would offer, um, 
at my own soapbox, if I can climb up on it, is the solutions to what we found in 2008 are not going to come from the people who put us into them. They're going to come from the new generation out of the ashes, who presumably will be reading these kinds of books because they haven't written their own yet. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going, what are they going to do? What are the millennials going to do? I think what's going to happen is that I think you're going to still see um, business books published. I still think that um, uh, Jack and I talk oftentimes about the fact that uh, we see a lot of the same ideas over and over and over again. Okay. But when you find that one that delivers it in the right manner, um, there's, there's something magical about it. The, the book, uh, our most recent book uh, in The 100 Best is Made to Stick by Chip right. Heath and uh -huh. Dan Heath. Yep. Um, and Okay, so there's a book that influence has been written about how many different ways from Tuesday over right. the last 100 years. But there's something different about what they've done in that book that creates a framework around how I should think about things, um, provides uh, powerful stories for how I should do it. I think that stuff still uh, will continue to work independent of the age of the individual. I think what uh, is going to happen, and I think we're in, uh, we're in the tipping point year, it's going to happen this year. Uh, we're going to see a big shift from people reading things on paper to people reading things on screens. Okay. It's been a long-term trend. Um, there are going to be a set of devices that I think are going to come out this year that are going to continue to build upon what the Kindle and the Sony Reader have done. Right. Um, I don't think it's laptops. I don't think they, they're not the right form and function for this. Right. But I think, I don't know who it's going to be, but um, you're going to see a series of things. And then, and then what's going to come quickly behind that is the infrastructure for someone to be able to press a button and have this 312, 312 pages <laughs> right. instantly downloaded. I mean, th 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 this isn't like movies. I mean, movies are actually the big problem, right? I mean, they're the ones that take up megabytes. Text? Text right. is one of the lightest you right. know, um, uh, data requirements, and it's the last thing that we're converting to a digital format. I find that absolutely fascinating, that music was there first. Now we're kind of going towards movies. Those, you've always needed devices. Mm -hmm. You always needed something else to experience mm -hmm. them. Books, you know, they're this last bastion of this thing that we're kind of um, trying to digitize. And so I think for, for millennials, I think that they're going to be more familiar with using screens. And I think that uh, if Jack and I continue to be in the business of moving paper around, that over the next five years, we're going to have a big problem. Great. Thank you very much. Jack Covert, Todd Satterston, the book. 100 Best Business Books of All Time, What They Say, Why They Matter, and How They Can Help You. I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of people will, in fact, buy this, not as necessarily of Cliff Notes, but it's a, it's a very handy reference as to see where they go to next, um, particularly those who, have, who know of 1-800-CEO-READ and know of its uh, reputation in the marketplace for defining excellence. One, one quick point is, is that when we talk about solutions, when you go into the book and you find the marketing book that you're really interested in and you read the review, at the end of the review, we have an almost choose-your-own-adventure aspect where we'll send you to a different genre. If you're, if you're this person, to try this review, to, to, to try to broaden their reach. Right. So each one of the books is, has got a choose-your-own-adventure aspect to it. So we tr we're trying to lead you down a path. Um, final comment about international editions. Are you going to keep this in English? Are you going to stay all politics is local? It's, it's, you going uh, to Paris with this, uh, Todd and Jack, uh, this Barbara? Is, this is an issue that Portfolio Penguin is going to deal with. Right. You know, uh, we, we, have, we are meeting with them tomorrow, and we'll find out. Well, it's a pleasure to meet uh, you, Jack, Todd, for the first time. You and I have spoken. Um, good luck with the book, and thanks for joining me, Paul McLaughlin. McLaughlin at work here on the west side of Manhattan. Thank you. And that's it. In the books, as they say, Jack Covert, Todd Satterston. The 100 best business books of all time. What they say, why they matter, and how they can help you. Another episode of McLaughlin at work here on webtalkradio.net. And if you would like to consider having a private label podcast, if you will, messaging special messaging and you'd like to try this medium why don't you be in touch with me send me an email paul at the mclaughlin company.com that's p-a-u-l at t-h-e-m-c-l-o-u-g-h-l-i-n-c-o-m-p-a-n-y dot com we'll make arrangements and 
you'll see how effective the sound, the voice is. And I think next week we're going to be hearing more about this uh, seminal book a long time ago that I've fallen into, and I'm going to be discussing it in a form that I think you're going to find most interesting. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. In the original unabridged edition, which is the one that I happened to pick up on the recommendation, heard about it here in uh, this episode of McLaughlin at Work, and I think it bears going on about, and that's what we're going to do. I don't think we'll have Mr. Hill as a guest, but uh, we just may wander through this remarkable tome, probably the most prescient, the most appropriate the most now book that you could possibly pick up, in my opinion. That's the opinion of Paul McLaughlin, The Work Walk, your audio guide to the workplace. Next week, all about Think and Grow Rich. You might want to pick it up in the interim. Napoleon Hill. Later. And in this case, next week. <laughs>